At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'm Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And here's to season three of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Deerfield, Illinois. Deerfield is a northern suburb of Chicago that currently has almost 20,000 residents. The town's name is said to have originated from the large number of deer that roamed the fields in the region. In 1835, the first permanent settler, Horace Lamb, built a log cabin in the area, marking the beginning of the town's development. The town's growth was initially slow, with agriculture playing a crucial role in its economy. The town is home to several historic homes and buildings, including the Casper Ott House, which dates back to 1837. The Deerfield Historic Village, which includes the Casper Ott House and other historic structures, has been designated as a National Historic Landmark, underscoring the town's significance in American history. Deerfield continued to evolve in the 20th century, transforming from an agricultural community into a thriving suburban town. The post-World War II era brought about suburbanization, and Deerfield experienced a population boom as families sought a quieter and more suburban lifestyle that was still close to Chicago. The construction of the Tri-State Tollway in the 1950s further facilitated accessibility to Deerfield, fueling its growth. Over the years, the town has become known for its excellent schools, picturesque neighborhoods, high quality of life, and strong sense of community. The Deerfield community is so idyllic that its neighborhoods were depicted in many of the famous John Hughes films in the 1980s. But in 2007, big city crime reached this small suburb with a high-profile murder that made residents wonder if their charming community was just a facade. On Thursday morning, October 4th, 2007, at approximately 7.50 a.m., a 911 call was made to the Deerfield Police Department. A woman living in the Deerfield Crossing condo complex told the dispatcher she'd heard her neighbor scream, followed by seven or eight soft pop-pop sounds, and then she heard a thud. She told the dispatcher her neighbor was pregnant and she was worried about her. When police and paramedics arrived at the third-floor condo, they found an obviously pregnant woman lying face down on her kitchen floor in front of the refrigerator. Tragically, they were too late. The neighbor who called 911 told the police officer that the deceased woman was 42-year-old Ronnie Ryder and she worked in fashion. She was also the longtime girlfriend of Sean Gale. Sean Gale had been on the Chicago Bears years prior. He was part of the 1985 team that brought home the Bears' first Super Bowl trophy. Kath, as you know, when I was in law school, I was living in my parents' home, and I had a cousin who was 14 and from Chicago, and he came to live with us. And he was a total psycho Chicago fan. He'd walk around going, shytown, shytown, and he'd be like, duh, Bears, duh, Bears. He absolutely loved, loved, loved the Bears and loved Chicago. 
And aren't most Chicago fans like that, where they're just everything's about the Bears or whatever, like like or one of the baseball teams? Yeah, like you, you're a rabid White Sox fan or you're a rabid Cubs fan. I have cousins who live on the South Side, which is very much a White Sox territory, but they're Cubs fans because when they were little and they would come home from school, there was always a Cubs game on. That was like their thing. They grew up watching the Cubs game. I have an uncle who is an insane psycho White Sox fan. And I love this uncle. I always stay with him and my aunt when when I go to Chicago. But ne'er the twain shall meet. They cannot joke even about their (laughs) relationship and love to the Cubs versus the White Sox. Are you serious? (laughs) I swear. It's like one of those topics that's avoided. In fact, you know how I love taking pictures in cemeteries? Yes, I do. Okay. This has to be 15 years ago when I was in Chicago. Someone famous from the White Sox died. I don't know if it was an owner. Somebody famous from the White Sox was buried in one of the local cemeteries. A player or like management? I can't remember, but I remember hearing about this and going and taking pictures of his gravestone for my uncle, who was a crazy White Sox fan. Yeah, but I I wish I could remember who it was. If anybody out there knows, let us know. (laughs) But I was going to tell you the only experience I have, I've only been to Chicago a couple of times. I did a class at Northwestern, but while I was there, somebody I knew got us tickets to a Cubs game and they play at Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field is where they have the brick wall that's covered in ivy. It's iconic. You know it. It's super cool and beautiful and there's fun bars. And we got box seats. You know what's the best at a Cubs game or any sort of baseball game? Because it was in the middle of summer. Humidity in Chicago is 800% right around there. Right. And there, it was air conditioned. They were bringing us food and alcohol, all the fun stuff. And so I I really got ruined for other baseball games. (laughs) You're like, I haven't been to a game since. (laughs) Pretty much. It's not really as much fun to go to a $14 seat. (laughs) Your nose is bleeding and you've got to go get your own food. How does that happen? You got to go get your own food. (laughs) Well, and more importantly, you got to go get your own beer. Detectives began looking through the condo. There was no forced entry, so they theorized that Ronnie had opened the door as she headed out to work and found someone on the other side. They also didn't find any fingerprints, and nothing appeared to have been taken. Ronnie's purse was near the door, and her wallet was still inside. Detectives also saw spent 9mm shell casings, as well as five unfired rounds, scattered around the body. According to the pathologist, Ronnie had been shot seven times. Two bullets struck her abdomen, killing her unborn child. She also had two bullet wounds in her arms, which, according to the pathologist, occurred when she unsuccessfully tried to shield her baby. A single gunshot wound to the back of her head was what killed her. Detectives canvassed the condo complex and spoke to Ronnie's neighbors. One told investigators that around the time of the 911 call, they saw a person wearing dark clothes, face paint, and a black curly wig head up the complex staircase. Shortly after that was when the 911 call was made. Detectives interviewed other neighbors who did not report hearing any gunshots. Another neighbor saw someone he described as a thin, black teenage boy, possibly wearing a wig, run across the parking lot and leave in a small black car. A nearby security camera recorded a black Volkswagen heading towards Ronnie's residence at 7.04 a.m. and leaving the area at a high speed 51 minutes later. And Kathy, you know what happened is that because, as you mentioned, Ronnie's boyfriend, Sean Gale, was famous, 
Before police had a chance to even notify him about what happened, reporters were calling him and telling him that a pregnant woman had been shot in Ronnie's neighborhood. And was it her? He had no idea what had happened, so he called 911 to find out for himself. What we're about to play is audio from that 911 call that we got from the YouTube channel of True Crime Daily. Listen, I've been getting calls from the, the, the media. This is Sean Gale. Was it Ronnie Ryder? Is she okay? Uh, yes, it was Ronnie, and no, she's not. She's, she's dead? <laughs> I gotta call her parents. <laughs> I don't know if you all were able to hear, but after Sean started crying, he said to the dispatcher, she's dead? I gotta call her parents. Who would do? And then he kind of tapered off. After the dispatcher told him that Ronnie was not okay, Sean called the Deerfield police to tell them that he was Ronnie's boyfriend and the father of her unborn child. Kath, the baby was due on December 17th, which was just two and a half months later. Sean and his attorney voluntarily met with police at the station and was interviewed for several hours before leaving. Police said at that time that Sean was not a suspect. Investigators talked to Ronnie's friends, who described her as the person who lit up a room when she walked in. Everyone was drawn to her, and people instantly liked her. She had lived in the Deerfield condo for a few years after having moved from Arlington Heights, another Chicago suburb. Friends told police that Ronnie met Sean at a football training camp near her hometown of Potosi, Wisconsin. They started dating soon after they met and had been together 17 years. Then, at the age of 41, Ronnie discovered she was pregnant. She'd always wanted to be a mom and was very excited about having a baby. And she knew that because of her age, it was a higher-risk pregnancy, so she took every medical precaution she could. And Cass, she even began wearing a pearl bracelet. It was like one of those medical alert tags, and on one side it said pregnant. And she wore it because she wanted anyone to know that if anything ever happened to her, she wanted the life of her baby to be protected first. Ronnie and Sean knew they were having a baby girl and they had named her Skylar. In a statement released the following day by Sean's attorney, Sean said, I am devastated by the loss of Ronnie and our unborn child. She was a kind, loving and beautiful woman. I will continue to cooperate with police in any way possible in finding who committed this horrific crime. Four days after the murders of Ronnie and her unborn daughter, a funeral was held at the St. Andrew Catholic Church in Tennyson, Wisconsin. Hundreds of people filled the church to mourn the loss of them. Ronnie graduated from Potosi High School in Wisconsin and was a lifelong athlete. She graduated from the University of Wisconsin Platteville before moving to the Chicago area. According to her parents, she enjoyed all things Oprah, movies, reading, popcorn popped on the stove, which I totally agree with, and exercise. About a week after the murders, Ronnie's parents released a statement about their daughter. They said, more than anything, Ronnie wanted to become a mother. At last, at age 42, Ronnie's dream of sharing her life with a child was finally nearing reality. We know Ronnie would have been a wonderful mom if only given the chance, a chance stolen from her at gunpoint last Thursday morning. It was a murder and robbery of the worst kind. While they may say nothing was taken, for us, for Ronnie, and for Skylar, everything has been lost. 
Although police publicly said that Sean Gale was not a suspect, he was a person of interest almost immediately. As a former pro football player, his physical build did not match the description of the person seen leaving the crime scene, but he still could have hired someone to commit this crime. As detectives spoke to Ronnie's friends, they learned that initially Sean was not happy about being a dad. Detectives were told that he eventually warmed up to the idea, but it was still something they were interested in learning more about. Investigators also noted that although the couple had been together for almost two decades, they lived 25 miles apart. Sean didn't live in Deerfield, but rather the upscale Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago. And while he had seemed very upset on the 911 call, detectives had to consider whether they were crocodile tears. When Sean met with investigators on the day of the murders, he told police he had an alibi. He was getting his haircut in North Chicago at the time. But investigators learned that his haircut wasn't actually until 9 a.m., more than an hour after the 911 call reporting Ronnie's death. So it was possible that he could have committed the crime and still gotten back to the city for his appointment. Detectives also found something inside Ronnie's purse when they looked through it at the condo. Inside was a typed, unsigned letter warning Ronnie about what her boyfriend was doing. The author of the letter claimed to have found out everything and stated that Sean was sleeping with women in destinations all over the world, that he kept these relationships going for years, and that he was giving a disease to every other woman. Toward the end of the letter, the author referenced Ronnie and suggested that Sean told everyone that she had to get an abortion. The author listed the name and phone numbers of 16 women and told Ronnie to contact these women so she could see for herself. One of the things that stood out to detectives was that the letter was written in very broken English, as if the person writing it was not a native English speaker. According to an episode of True Crime Daily, Lake County Major Crimes Task Force Detective George Falenko said that when they spoke with Sean about the accusations in the letter regarding his many extracurricular activities, he basically described his relationship with Ronnie as essentially being an open relationship. He said Ronnie knew he was seeing other women. But when detectives brought this up with her friends, they said it was an open relationship on Sean's part only. Police wondered if Ronnie confronted Sean after she received the letter and he snapped. Or did one of the women listed in the letter want to take her out of the picture? Investigators contacted all the women on the list and learned that 15 of them had one thing in common. They were all currently involved with Sean Gale with some describing themselves as girlfriends and others saying they were lovers. It appeared to detectives that these women thought they were exclusively dating him. This was definitely a possible motive for Sean to be involved in Ronnie and their daughter's deaths. There was only one ex-girlfriend on the list. Her name was Monica Karowska, and she was a Polish fitness model and personal trainer. Sean had been seeing her for a few years, but their relationship had recently ended badly. Apparently, Monica thought the relationship was monogamous and turned up at Sean's house unexpectedly one evening. Through the window, she saw Sean with another woman. Sean said Monica became violent and broke the window at his house. She then began leaving threatening messages. Sean sought an order of protection against Monica because she had been harassing his girlfriend, Ronnie. In fact, Sean said Monica had violated the order just one month before Ronnie was killed 
when she sent an email to all the members of a charity organization for which Sean was a celebrity ambassador. When police spoke with Monica, she denied sending the email, as well as any notes or emails to other women on the list, saying it must have been somebody else. Sean also told detectives that he suspected Monica had hacked into his email account. Sean told investigators that he thought it was Monica who wrote the letter that they found in Ronnie's purse. As a Polish immigrant, Monica spoke the same broken English that was used in the letter. But when police spoke with Monica, she denied sending any emails or notes to any other women on the list, including Ronnie. She said it must have been somebody else. She also told detectives that she had a solid alibi. She was with a client at the exact time that Ronnie was killed. Police verified the alibi and determined that Monica could not have been the killer, so the investigation continued. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Detectives continued going through the remaining names on the letter found in Ronnie's purse. They were checking them off one by one as they were able to confirm alibis. And then they got a break. They were contacted by a retired Chicago police officer who told them that if a woman named Marnie Yang was on the list, she was their killer. And Kath, she was actually the last name in the letter. Police began to do an investigation on her before reaching out. 
Marnie Yang was a mother of three who dabbled in real estate and had a side gig as a fitness model. And from the True Crime Daily episode that I watched, she apparently had quite the reputation among those who knew her as being what they termed a man eater. Oh, here she comes. Watch <laughs> out, boy. She'll chew you up. You have quite the musical oh, repertoire. Here she comes. Decades. She's a man eater. Different styles. Who sang that? All in the same bad tune. Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. You're right. And in fact, Kathy, on this episode, one of her friends said that he had told detectives that Marnie was driven by two things, getting attention and sex. You know, what was funny is I actually assumed some of that. If you see her fitness model things, I bet she was freaking steroiding it. Like oh, she really? was too cut. Oh, interesting. So don't you think that would have revved up her sex drive? Probably. Or road rage. Or road rage. <laughs> <laughs> Roid rage. <laughs> Yeah, I had a neighbor once who actually had roid rage. I remember him. Yeah. He was in TV, though, wasn't he? Yeah, but we're not going to say what he played in. Well, no, but wasn't he just like a bit actor in a commercial or something? No, he had a few roles. He was always like a big buff guy. He like got in my son's face when my son was like 16 years old. And yeah, it was it was not pretty. Like he. What'd you do to him? Basically threatened him. I didn't do anything. And to this day, I regret not like handling it myself, but instead... Oh, you let your son do it? <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't let my son. I wasn't home when all this happened. Right. I came home and this was reported to me and I should have immediately gone over there. Like I regret letting my husband go handle this. I mean, he's a cop. He's used to handling those situations. So he's much more. He's not as inflammatory as you would have wanted to do. Totally. I would have been would like, have be. I would have been like Molotov cocktail through the window. And I would have helped you. <laughs> Let's put it this way. My husband de-escalated the situation. Boring. I know. And the neighbors apologized Boring. and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Or I would have been like, all right, bitches, it's time to go. <laughs> I would have been like pulling the pin on grenades with my teeth. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why you sent him. <laughs> exactly. You wouldn't have been a good mother from prison. I would have been calling you from jail. <laughs> And then the other thing in this episode, Kath, is that one of her friends said that when Marnie met Sean and he used the term and it was very strange, like I didn't understand it well, but he said basically she met him after she conned him into thinking she would be a real estate agent just for him. What does that mean? Was he like buying and selling tons of real estate? I don't know. It wasn't explained. That's just what was said. Interesting. But it was basically after she was able to do that, they started a sexual relationship. Mm. But this friend also said that Marnie was obsessed with dating cops. <laughs> Andy said she often showed up at her local police station to find out how they investigated crimes. Okay, that sounds like... <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. The police station is like literally, what, 100 feet from my house? <laughs> can, can you imagine? No. Knock, Hi. knock. Hi. <laughs> can can you a detective? Tell me you investigate crimes? Do you have a detective free? Right. Because <laughs> I'd really like to find out. Although, you oh know what, God. if I had a body like hers and dressed like her, they probably wouldn't care. They would have been like, come on in. And we'll tell you all about how to investigate crimes. <laughs> and instead, they'd be like, the Weight Watchers meeting is that way. Stop. <laughs> Stop. And it turned out, as investigators looked further into Marnie's relationship with Sean, they learned that they both were sleeping with other people. The retired cop who told detectives to take a look at Marnie informed investigators that he'd been in an extramarital affair with her. And when he told her he was breaking off their relationship, Marnie tried to blackmail him into staying with her. When that didn't work, Marnie threatened him and his family. This officer, Kath, apparently he was close to retirement and close enough that he put his papers in, retired from the force, 
and then moved his family out of state to escape this. That's crazy. With the information from the retired police officer, Deerfield detectives headed over to Marnie's condo to do a little dumpster diving. As one would. Exactly. So once the garbage is thrown out, there's no longer a right of privacy. So detectives could dig through your trash as much as they want to. As they looked through her trash, they found some very interesting receipts. One of them was to an online bookstore, which investigators discovered included the purchase of a book about how to make disposable silencers at home. Of course, Kath, this raised their eyebrows because only one witness heard gunshots at Ronnie's condo, and she told investigators they were quieter than she would have expected. Another receipt from the trash was from Home Depot, which listed out the items she'd purchased. All of the items were what would have been required to make the disposable silencer based on the instructions in the book she bought. There was also a separate receipt from the day after Ronnie's murder showing that Marnie purchased a bucket and cement. Detectives were able to verify that she was the one making these two purchases through in-store videos when she was at the checkout stand. Police brought Marnie in for questioning, and she said she bought the book about the disposable silencers. However, it was a gag gift for a police officer she was dating. Detectives then asked if she had bought any items that would help her make some of the silencers in the book, And she said she did, but only because the book gave her a really good idea for a science project. The explanation for the bucket and the cement was that it was for a tile project in her basement. Now, of course, detectives asked her when she began her work, and she said she had not, although she had purchased the materials. And then it turned out she had an alibi. She told detectives that when Ronnie was murdered, she was at home because her car battery had died. She called a friend of hers, who was a Cook County bailiff, so an officer of the court, who went to her house to help her out. Detectives checked on the alibi with the court bailiff, and sure enough, he confirmed that he was with her. All of the obvious suspects led nowhere at this point, but detectives continued to investigate, although the investigation was no longer part of the daily news. Almost one year after Ronnie and her unborn daughter Skylar were killed, Ronnie's family spoke to Chicago Tribune reporter Emily S. Achenbaum. They said that they prayed every day that her murder would be solved, but after nearly a year, no arrests had been made. Her family hadn't heard from detectives in months, but trusted that they were hard at work trying to solve the case. Sean Gale released a statement at this time that said, As the year anniversary of Ronnie and Skylar's murder approaches, I continue to feel the pain of their loss each and every day. As we said previously, when police received surveillance footage from across the street from Ronnie's condo the day she was killed, they saw a dark colored small SUV arrive at the condo complex at 7.05 a.m. and leave more than 45 minutes later. This was just after the 911 call was placed. Detectives were able to identify the car as a black Volkswagen, but the surveillance video wasn't able to capture the license plate. The car didn't match Sean's vehicle or any of the vehicles belonging to the women listed in the letter. Investigators expanded their search, and one detective on the case tried to see if he could find any relational connections between the women. Maybe more than one of them was involved. But the detective was not able to find even the hint of a connection. Then he decided to see if maybe the car was a rental and checked to see if any of the women had rented a car around the time of Ronnie's murder. 
and he got a hit. A local car rental company confirmed that a black Volkswagen was rented the day before Ronnie was shot and killed. It was the same make and model as the one in the surveillance video. The renter was Marnie Yang. This is the woman who was a part-time realtor slash fitness model who scared that cop so badly that he resigned from his job and moved his family out of state. The employee at the rental company remembered Marnie because she was picked up by the company and taken to the lot. She was initially given a car with the color described as velvet blue, which she returned. She told them very specifically that she wanted a dark car that wouldn't stand out. But although she paid in cash for the rental car, her driver's license was recorded for the transaction. Additionally, the rental company required a credit card and Marnie provided a credit card. But this was interesting, Kathy, because according to court records, this credit card was held jointly by Marnie, her father and an ex-boyfriend. And I have no idea what that means. Right. <laughs> I mean, I would understand like her dad, if she had bad credit, she'd gone through a divorce, like who knows? But why is your ex-boyfriend hanging on there? Yeah. Why are your dad and your boyfriend on a card? Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. The ex-boyfriend actually happened to be a cop. And so detectives were able to talk to the ex-boyfriend and he told them that he did not use the credit card to rent a car. When asked about the rental car, Marnie said she rented it for her best friend, Christy Passion, because Christy didn't have a credit card. I don't think Marnie technically did either. (laughs) It sounds like she didn't either. (laughs) Hi, pot, meat, kettle. (laughs) On February 18, 2009, 18 months after Ronnie's murder, detectives obtained a court order to tap Marnie Yang's phone. Shortly after this was approved, police called Christy Passion in for questioning. Christy immediately called Marnie, which, of course, was a conversation the police listened to, and she was furious with Marnie, and Marnie was trying to calm her down and say, don't worry about it, just tell them this, don't, you know, it's going to be fine. Here's what you say during the interview, et cetera, et cetera. And Marnie's like, I covered my bases. There's no way the cops will ever actually know what happened. Just calm down kind of thing. While in the interview with detectives, they confronted Christy about the phone call and Christy folded like a cheap whatever. Soup. Yeah, I don't even, whatever the phrase is. I think it's folded is. like a cheap soup, but I don't understand it. Yeah, or like. A deck of cards. Something. House of cards. They're, house of cards. House of cards. House of cards. Anyway. So she admitted to having conversations with Marnie about Ronnie. And of course, the cops were like, how come you didn't call the police before Ronnie was murdered if you knew what Marnie was going to do? And Christy was like, I didn't believe she was actually capable of murdering anyone. I didn't take it seriously what she was saying. Which I kind of get because Christy was described as her best friend. And if my sister said something to you, like, I'm so mad I'm going to kill him or her or whatever. You're not going to believe that she's actually going to do that. No, but I would be like, I'll go with you. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't call the cop. Are you That's kidding me? That's my point. No. But anyway. Die, so, baby. But, <laughs> but I agree with you. It's like somebody says this, you're just sort of like, yeah, right, whatever. And especially someone that you know well and you've known a long time. Exactly. After the interview, Christy called Marnie. She told Marnie that she said all the things that Marnie wanted her to say and she thought she was able to change the detectives' minds about Marnie's involvement. Of course, Marnie had zero idea that Christy actually rolled on her. Christy told cops everything, including the fact that Marnie was obsessed with Sean, and when she found out that Ronnie was pregnant, she spiraled into a violent rage because she was afraid that that meant Sean was going to end the relationship. 
Marnie also didn't know that during Christy's interview, she agreed to cooperate in the investigation. You know, Kath, in talking to Christy, investigators actually learned a lot. Some of what they learned was that Marnie was actually cyber-stalking Sean Gale. Remember he had talked about the fact that he thought Monica, the woman who he got a restraining order against? The Polish lady. Exactly. That she was reading his email and that she had sent these emails to other people. Right. Christy actually confirmed it was Marnie who was doing it. She had somehow gained access to his email, whether she saw him typing in a password or what have you. And so she had been cyber stalking him, going through his emails every day to see who he was talking to, what they were saying, what other women there were that he was involved with. It was crazy. Like the list just goes on and on. How she had time for another job or two, I have no idea. Seriously. And not only that, Kath, but through the cyber stalking, Marnie was so fixated on Sean and these other women that she actually paid someone to do in-depth background checks on these other women. And she was the one who wrote the letter that they found in Ronnie's purse, the one where she was the last name on the list. It was from these background checks that she got the emails, names and home addresses, which is how she also found out where Ronnie lived. On March 3rd, 2009, 41-year-old Marnie Yang was arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of Ronnie Ryder and her unborn child. Sean Gale released a statement in which he described the killings as the act of a heartless psychopath. I am completely shaken that someone I knew is responsible for this monstrous act. I cannot express how painful it has been to lose both of them. In the statement, he said he considered Marnie to be a business associate, realtor slash mortgage broker, and friend. And Kathy later told reporters that some media outlets were trying to create a romantic situation between him and Marnie, and it was pretty upsetting to him. On March 4th, 2011, three and a half years after Ronnie Ryder and her unborn daughter Skylar were murdered, trial began. The prosecution's key witness was Christy Passion, Marnie's best friend who rolled on her. At trial, Christy testified that after Marnie found out Ronnie was pregnant, she told Christy that Sean Gale was incapable of being a parent and did not deserve a child, and she had talked about killing him. However, at some point, Marnie began to contemplate killing Ronnie instead of Sean. Christy told the jurors that she urged Marnie to leave it alone. According to court records, on October 3, 2007, the night before the murder, Marnie slept over at Christy's house and asked Christy to read tarot cards to determine whether she would be successful in killing Ronnie. Marnie drew a card that indicated achievement of a goal. Before they went to sleep that night, Marnie told Christy that if she killed Ronnie, she would call Christy on the phone and deliver a coded message. The code was the sentence, do you want to go to dinner? Christy told the jury that she didn't take Marnie's plan seriously enough to call the police. But when she woke up the next morning, Marnie was gone. Around 9 a.m. on the morning of the murders, Marnie called Christy and said, do you want to go to dinner? Christy couldn't believe what she was hearing. Police were able to obtain a copy of this phone call because Marnie wasn't using her own phone when she made this call, she had gotten a burner cell phone. But because Christy was a telemarketer and it was the company policy to record all of the calls, police were able to get a copy and admitted it into evidence. During Christy's interview with detectives before Marnie was arrested, she told them that on the night of the murder, she and Marnie drove around Arlington Heights to discard items from the murder in various dumpsters. Christy saw Marnie throw out several items, including packaging for gun grips, a black wig, and clothes. She also saw Marnie bury a small object outside of a banquet hall. 
Based on this information, detectives went to the banquet hall. After digging in the area, they brought out a metal detector, thinking maybe they would find the gun. What they found instead was a distinctive pearl medical alert bracelet that said pregnant on one side. Witnesses identified the bracelet as belonging to Ronnie, and it was the first piece of physical evidence linking Marnie to the crime scene. Christy told the jury that she agreed to go undercover for the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force to get additional information and wore a wire when she met Marnie for breakfast at Denny's. And it was there that she got Marnie to admit that she got rid of the gun by placing it in a bucket of cement and throwing it in the dumpster. It was never recovered from a landfill. And at a second meeting with Christy when she was wired, Marnie actually described in great detail what happened after she knocked on Ronnie's door. We decided not to describe it because the malice directed at Ronnie and her unborn baby girl was atrocious. According to court records, during cross-examination of the witness, the defense cast doubt on Christie's credibility. Christie testified that in 1976, the Army recruited her as a psychic. She also claimed to be the sole survivor of her final mission in the Middle East, and afterwards, the military erased some of her memories. One of the detectives who took the stand testified that Christie told him that she fabricated her military experience to enhance her resume as a psychic. So, Kath, both parties stipulated that the federal government had no records of Christie Passion's military service. And basically, it sounds like the prosecution was like, yep, she lied. And so when you enter into a stipulation, it's basically just an agreement and you read it to the jury. And of course, the defense did this because they wanted to impugn Christie's credibility and veracity and all that kind of stuff. However, it didn't seem to sway the jury. On Tuesday, March 15, 2011, after four hours of deliberation, the jury of nine men and three women found Marnie Yang guilty of killing Ronnie Ryder and her unborn daughter. Just over two months later, the sentencing hearing was held. Ronnie's brother spoke and recalled the last time he talked to his sister. During the call, she joked about her shoes not fitting because she had gained weight and her feet were swollen. He said she was the happiest he'd seen her in years. Then, on October 4th, everything changed. Her brother spoke to Marnie Yang directly in court and told her his family was heartbroken to have lost his sister and the baby to an individual who showed no remorse. Not a single person from Marnie's family attended the sentencing. Moments before she was sentenced, her attorney read a statement to the Ryder family on Marnie's behalf. It said she was sorry for their loss, but did not take any responsibility for the 2007 murders. The judge then sentenced Marnie Yang to two concurrent life sentences without the possibility of parole. To date, Marnie's appeals have been denied. However, on November 13th, 2023, so just a few weeks ago, her attorneys were back in court trying to prove her innocence. She has been in prison more than 12 years, and her attorneys claim the confession she made to her friend Christy was the result of her trying to protect others from being convicted. The defense said the state has ignored new evidence proving that she was not the killer of Ronnie Ryder and her unborn child. 
According to an article in the Chicago Tribune by reporter Chloe Hills, Marnie Yang's attorney said he remains confident his client will eventually be cleared of murder, but remains uncertain what new evidence will be allowed to be presented to a judge in her quest for a new trial. According to the defense, the evidence they want to present includes affidavits from three people, a former FBI agent, a forensic pathologist, and a former medical examiner, who will say science proves she didn't do it and science will point to another suspect. Although the specifics in the affidavits have not been made public, Assistant State's Attorney Humkey countered that those affidavits are not factual and insufficient. The judge set Marnie Yang's next hearing for January 22, 2024, at which time the court is expected to clarify what evidence may be presented in the future. We will keep you posted whenever a hearing is held. Thanks for listening. If you haven't joined Patreon while you've been listening to this episode, please do so now. (laughs) I don't hear clicking of the keys on your keyboard. (laughs) We have three tiers to choose from, and they're all fantastic. And if you have any case suggestions, please hit us up on Instagram. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park